Hello and welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the final chapter of Lady the Lake, chapter 12, the big one. This is the the end of the saga. Uh, well, I will be covering the non-canonical alternate ending and the prequel book written many, many, many years after the fact, as far as Sipkowski is concerned, as far as I'm concerned as well. This is the end of the saga. There are no stories beyond this point. Our trio is gone. Uh, well, two of them are dead, and one of them uh, went to another world to live out a life away from the pain and the tragedy. This chapter is a very bittersweet one because you got you know the stuff from the last the last chapter of uh, of the trio coming together of uh, dealing with everything and in the the large machinations and all that. So now you have effectively Geralt and Dandelion going to meet one last time with Zoltan and Yarpin and a really nice discussion that sort of bookends ironically uh in uh, Yarpin's uh first appearance which is uh uh Bounds of Reason because in the tavern during that time uh during that short story villain Trent Mirth and Geralt had a conversation about chaos and order and the, the nature in which uh the world operates and how a witcher's job is to preserve order by fighting against the chaos and now we have a similar conversation with with Yarpin, Sultan, Geralt, and Dandelion where uh, basically the, 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 the general gist is that Geralt is done. He's become apathetic as I talked about last time. Uh, he is so concerned about what's going to happen with his family you know, Yen and Siri, that he doesn't want to get involved anymore. And he forsaked being the Witcher a few books ago, right? Well, here's the thing about that. Uh, is that he contradicts himself when he forsaked being a Witcher because he resumed being a Witcher in saw. But additionally, he redefined, he had been redefining over the course of the book what Witcher means. Uh, fights monsters to uh, code of honor to fight evil in whatever form and he talked about neutrality and the way in which uh, that that's supposed to go down in his head and how neutrality uh, is a double-edged sword well it's good in theory sometimes in practice it is not and uh, you know the the moral complications of that and so he redefined it himself as the protection of those close to him his friends and his family right by the time we get to now he's so concerned about living now living with what he has now that he doesn't take into account the 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 future ramifications and him being a good-hearted person that gnaws at him and we saw his reactions to the injustices last uh last chapter and him trying to put that behind him and just ignore it just keep your head down your you know uh all that matters is family friends right now and that eventually comes to a boiling point here where you know a, a pogrom a riot happens or, or a bunch of racists uh attack non-humans and uh he gets caught in the middle where he has to stand up he has to do something about it and and i think it's really important to note that his actions aren't aren't supposed to be read as he's the hero he's doing the heroic action he is doing something in service of his friends he was in 
at the dwarven section of the, of the town with his dwarven friends. He was protecting his friends and family. He was taking up that 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 redefined witcher role that he brought to himself: protect friends and family, kill evil, basically fight evil. And within that, you know, he he dies because he got involved. And there's an irony there of him learning that neutrality doesn't help anyone. It makes things more miserable, but it has. On the outside, at least, an understanding, uh, a, a good veneer, but you can't just sit by the bylines and, and wait for things to happen. That sometimes you have to take action, but taking action can be risky. And taking action with the right goals in mind is what's most important. And uh, he dies for it. There's there's an irony here. Uh, think about. His conversations in the Lesser Evil, his conversations in Bounds of Reason, his conversation in Blood of Elves, uh, all of this is informing this one moment. He chose to take a stand, and he died for it. He chose to ignore apathy, and he died for it. But by choosing apathy before he chose to take a stand, he was miserable and he let other people take that harm. There's no right answer to this. It's shit and misery either way. What's important is that he did something in the name of his friends and his family. And ultimately that's what's important in life is everyone else, you know, has their own wants, their needs, their desires, and that's great. But sometimes you gotta focus on the minor scale and say, I'm going to stand up and do this thing that looks like a big, major, heroic action, but in actuality is just for the benefit of my friends and family. If it has, you know, a domino effect, more the merrier, basically. And I think that's important because the, the games especially try to turn into more of a hero type thing and that's something me and claudia brought up in our retrospective is the, the the problems with with that inherently uh and how that goes against Geralt's character and uh what the message is at the end here which is stand up for what's right but make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons there's nothing worse than standing up for what's right for all the wrong reasons oh that's even a theme about one five uh, funnily enough. So, I really like this ending for Geralt, and I like how, um, much like when, uh, the, the death of the Hansa, we get flashbacks. Uh, flashback to him in, in Karen Warden, finding out that he was gonna die to a three-fingered thing, three teeth. And, uh, you know, he, he lived with that, and it turned out it was just some kid. And Nimue, I brought up uh, earlier of the, the the idea of the greatest swordsman taken down by a simple farmer with a pitchfork that at the end of the day it, it's all about perseverance it's all about uh belief and if someone's belief is strong enough they will override that and so this racist killed Geralt he was just a kid teenager with a pitchfork Nothing spectacular, nothing epic. This isn't your fantasy story. Ochihiro goes out on the blaze of glory. This is just the way things are. 
people die for no reason at all. Within all of this, you got the the, the way in which things domino, and, and the there's a specific paragraph that talks about the, the Rivian program and how um, there's many conspiracy theories later in life, and you know how it was revised in, in history to say the dwarves started it, or uh, you know it started because of the, you know this row with this woman who. Uh, and this merchant, which weren't even connected because the merchant had a row with a kid and not the woman, but, you know, it just so happened uh, to conspire that way, and maybe it was pre-planned, maybe it wasn't, and I think, you know, the, the indie of it, that it was a product of the times. In a post-war world, you need to have an enemy. Um, in everyday life, a lot of people try and have an enemy. They they point a finger. You know, it's all about I'm not at fault. Someone else is at fault. Find someone else to blame, and to have someone, you know, uh, a convenient scapegoat for your problems. That's the key to everything. And in a post-war world where you know things are very bleak, uh, and may, there may be a new dawn coming but it's going to take a while to get there that's what happened and and so the scholar who suggests that it was just a product of the time uh of the post-war era and the ignorance and the bigotry festered within that you know that's when people just stop discussing it because there's nothing special there whether it's a conspiracy was always planned does it really matter because at the end of the day, that conspiracy was started because of the ignorance of the bigotry that festered during wartime anyway. So taking a grander look at it, what you have is essentially a riot uh, that broke out of pure hatred. Uh, and as all things do, it, you know, it, it started not innocuously. It was always, it was always intended to go in a certain direction and that's horrible and i think it's worth noting that you know i come from oklahoma oklahoma was home to one of the worst uh massacres uh racially motivated massacres in the united states history the tulsa race massacre um and so like that 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 brings it home that you know it was you know it was ultimately a planned attack by the, the KKK, but regardless, it was still a product of the bigotry in the ignorance of that area. It was always going to happen, much like the, the, the Archduke Ferdinand thing. Did the, the, the shooting of him really start the war, or was it just the excuse? Would something else have taken its place? And I think that's the, the kind of thing we're that that Spikowski's talking about that the, regardless of what started the riot what started the program it was always going to happen because these kind of emotions fester in these places in a post-war era it was inevitable you know one thing that that really hits home is the way in which Zoltan and Yarpin have this conversation uh with Geralt about you know moving on uh, you know, Zoltan's engaged to be married, is going to set up a, a smithing business, uh, Garfin's getting into politics, uh, Percival Schuttenbox even got a, a little a small business in Novigrad, and, uh, you know, everybody's trying to move on, 
And Geralt gifts his Sahil, the Sahil that Zoltan gave him back to Zoltan. Zoltan says, no, I don't want it, it was a gift to you. So they then give it to the innkeeper, and, you know, uh, hang this up and call this the place, the Witcher's Sword. And then, of course, when the rise happened, Geralt has to take the sword back to you know, take justice into his own hands to stop the riot, at least the best he could. Um, and that inevitably gets him killed. And that, that's the that's the sad thing here. You know, it's a lovely little moment of their conversation about chaos and order and how it echoes back to the bounds of reason. And then um, within that, uh, Zoltan's philosophy that progress comes in waves, and that's good, but evil will always exist, then is sort of brought back to series conclusion, which is that a world, there, every world will always need a Witcher. The world will always need to fight evil in some way. Evil will always persist. Um, and, and the way that echoes Geralt's sacrifice, um, the, it's just so beautiful, well-rounded, well-thought-out ending to the saga, how it echoes all the themes from the short stories to the books to the, the, the tragedy of the moment and the character beats and everything. This was where it was all leading to, and it's not a happy ending, and that's perfect because that's the kind of story this is. And while it breaks my heart you know, to know that this was going to be, it's still wonderful. Because it, this is what that series is about, is, is about sacrificing yourself for, you know, something, for the, the cause that you believe in. And some people take that too far, some people don't take it far enough, and some people find a middle ground there of I fight for my family. And that is what leads to the end. One thing I really like is... Uh, the Yen and Triss conversation, or should I say monologue, because even Siri calls it a monologue, where Triss is, is held accountable for her actions, uh, that she betrayed the family, she betrayed them, and uh, she isn't, you know, just uh, thrown under the carpet, her feelings are acknowledged and understood, but also stepped the hell back. And I like that because it reaffirms, I think, that Triss is understandable uh, and is a well-written character, but that does by no means uh, nullify what she did. It does not uh, rescind it. It does not forgive. That That's an important note, uh, especially because in light of the games being so well-known versus um, the the books, especially in the Western world, uh, the Yen Trist debate is a thing that happens in the fandom, and it drives me nuts because not only this Geralt not go that way very clearly he says he doesn't love her but also that uh triss is very much in the wrong and treating her as anything else is ridiculous to me you can understand her motivation you can understand her feelings that doesn't that doesn't excuse her and uh the fact that the games try and wipe that clean and excuse her is kind of ridiculous to me and i think is one of the biggest flaws of the games and is something that uh you know really hinders the ability to talk about this saga in a major way uh, online is because people will bring up the games and the games and the books just can't coexist in that same line that same behavior uh and, and so again calling triss out i think is a very very good scene 
Um, very indicative of where Yen is at at this point. She is done running. She's done hiding. She's, you know, done being helpless at this point. She's got her family. She fought tooth and nail to get it. Fuck everyone else, basically. And, you know, Slay Queen is what I say. Uh, and then the the irony of them being back on Sodden Hill in a way that during the, the Rivian program, they, they have to stand side by side and uh, face these horrible people uh, that, you know, that treat them horribly, just like on Sodden Hill, you know, no one respected sorceresses. And then when they did what they did, you know, they were feared uh, because, uh, feared and revered at the same time. The, the, those sorcerers that gave their lives to, to, to win the battle, but also the, the devastation that they wrought, right? And so now they're on back on hill, and uh, they mess things up. They inadvertently create a new spell. The way in which, you know, this all circles back, uh, just like with Geralt's section, it all circling back to some conversations happened in the short stories. It circles back um, with, uh, you know, Yen coming to terms with herself post Sodden Hill. Same with Triss, because uh, that was the big turning point for them. And I like how everyone ends up in a place uh, at the end here where it's uh, it comes full circle or a bow is eating its own tail. You know, uh, something and something begins where Siri uh, now has a new destiny ahead of her, a new destination. For lack of a better term, uh, you know, uh, much like how, you know, when she was born and all this optimism was ahead of her, uh, Geralt and Yen, you know, are dead, but they live in a new world in, um, in the island of Avalon, the, uh, the Arthurian afterlife with ever blooming apple trees and pure paradise that only in this place, this place away from hell, away from, the misery of the world, can they truly ever be happy and be together? You know, Dandelion, uh, you know, is, is left alone to, to carry his friend's legacy, you know, and uh, Zoltan and Yarpin, you know, uh, have to carry the burden uh, of Geralt uh, into the boat. Uh, and Triss is, remains on a hill being lied to uh, and watching as her sister uh, or, you know, or, or whatever, you know, her her niece, having one of you the relationship, sisterly or aunt niece, uh, tells her one thing and then leaves uh, and, and, and means something else. Everybody ends in a place that circles back and has a better sweet aftertaste to it. There's also the incredible sadness of the way that Yen dies and the way Siri reacts to this. Because Siri forsaked magic all the way back in time of contempt. And she got the last little bit of it, uh, you know, in Tower Swallows, as I explained. And now it's all gone. And there's nothing she can do and she can't save her mother and her father and yen having just gotten back what she fought so hard to get the man she can't live without and her daughter that she can't live without she kills herself in attempting to heal Geralt and it doesn't 
work. And there's also this this added tragedy, the way Sapkowski uses the coincidence and the contrivedness of everybody arriving at the same time the program is happening by intentionally having that happen and having them arrive just a little too late. That adds to the tragedy of it. And it's just this really overflowing sad moment as everything comes to fruition. We get the flashback to Yin committing suicide and how Tiseya reacted to that. That there's nothing more pathetic than a sorceress in tears tying all the way back uh, to what Yin told Siri back in Blood of Elves. That sorceresses were taught to be cold, miserable, and to have this sort of air of confidence around them to be independent in a way. Uh, but it, it's an independence grown out of pain, not anything else. It's the wrong sort of lesson to teach. And Yen, realizing what utter bullcrap that is, found a way around it, and she lost it. And so, nothing more pathetic than a sorceress in tears, in her desperation, she kills herself. Ouroboros sunk its teeth into its own tail again. And the story ends capping off the Galahad stuff with Siri finishing her tale. And the, 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 the final story she tells Galahad and the excerpt at the beginning of this chapter is essentially something that begins. The short story I will be covering in the next episode. Yen and Geld get married, they live happily ever after, all things are wonderful, everything is a fairy tale, everything is kind, nothing bad ever happens. And Siri can't finish the story because she cries. Because she realizes it's not true. And a good story is true. And so she realizes she's going to have to write her own story. And in a world away from her world, away from the lodge, away from Mir, away from the wild hunt, away from the elder blood as a concept... And in a world full of, uh, you know, mighty knights and uh, the round table, these knights in shiny armor, she literally meets and talks to Galahad, the virgin knight, the pure knight, the knight destined to find the holy grail, the chosen one of the round table, much like she herself is a chosen one. And more on that in something in something begins, because the parallel there is made not just subtext, but text <laughs> in that short story, which we will talk about when we get there, um, that everything is ahead of them. And there's a hint that she's developing some sort of crush on Galahad. You know, he's famously the Virgin Knight. So it's up to your interpretation. She's destined, according to the blood, to continue that line, to have a child that will do something special. But... Galahad, also being the chosen one of his of his story, of his legend, is the Virgin Knight. So did it ever happen? Does destiny have a you know a good underpinning to it? Is there such a thing? That's up for you to decide. What matters is that what's behind them is the enchanted lake. What's in front of them is everything. Now, Siri gets to choose her own destiny, her own destination, her own likes, wants, needs, desires. She lost a lot. But in that loss, that sacrifice, 
she learned the necessary tools to stand on her own. And that is what's important. Now she can do what she wants. And I think that's a very, a very important thing about that ending. And why Sukowski, I think, does not want to tell any story beyond that. Uh, and something I wholeheartedly agree with. The games, uh, which are three brought Siri back. And I think that was understandable, but also a mistake because Siri shouldn't have, uh, anyone else dictate her story. I think the, the ending is very explicit in the fact that she now gets the option to choose. No one else should dictate, whether that be in the real world, the writer, or the in-universe, someone else, you know, forcing her to do things. She is her own master, the, 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 the lady of time and space. Let her choose where she goes from here. Let her choose her own destiny, what she wants to do with her future. In front of her was everything. And I think that is very, very important and why I'm very much against any potential uh, game sequels, uh, you know, focusing on Siri or uh, even any book sequels focusing on Siri. And it's something that... Uh, Sokowski has admitted to uh, when he announced that he was going to do the prequel book, uh, Season of Storms, which came out nearly 13 years after the publication of Lady of the Lake, um, he, he, as far as he's concerned, the saga is over. He can find places within the saga to insert new stories, but there is nothing to say after uh, Lady of the Lake that the stories are done. Geralt and Yin got their happy ending. Granted, they're dead, they got the happy ending in the afterlife, and Siri got to go to another world to make her own decisions, her own desires, her own wants, to finally get the chance to choose, to have free will instead of being dictated to. And any attempt to interfere, both in-universe and without, is a direct contradiction of what that ending means, and why that ending is so beautiful and so poignant, and is what the series has all been leading to. The destiny, being the chosen one, destroys any free will. Destroys one's own self-worth. And that's what I'm, what's important. I, I'm very, very glad that Spokowski sees it the same way I do. And I hope to God no one tries uh, to expand upon that. More than the games already have. I don't want them to touch it anymore. They've already screwed up a lot of stuff when they brought back Siri. And I have a lot of problems with that. And I don't want to ever see it again. And I hope, God, the show doesn't try it. Because, uh, dear God, that would be a travesty. Uh, and just let Siri, in the, the amorphous world of fiction, choose her own destiny. Grant Morrison who's a very meta-textual writer, comic book work in, I believe it was Infinite Crisis, um, introduced this idea of the... I don't remember the exact wording, but it was basically a void, a place where forgotten aspects of the fictional world of the DC universe went to. Uh, so, you, uh, so for instance, you know, there, there was forgotten characters or crypto was there and stuff like that. It's just aspects that were forgotten or t intentionally tossed aside. And part of that, that story was, uh, Superman specifically trying to find a way to bring them back into the main universe. And it was this very metatextual idea that stories have a life of their own outside of what is on the page. And I think that uh, is Sapkowski's view as well, and it's certainly my view. And uh, 
So please, to anyone, uh, you know, important to not important, let Siri choose her own destiny. Don't write it. Don't try and dictate it for her. Let her choose. That's what that's the, the, the Witcher saga has all been about. So please, just let her have it. This is a phenomenal chapter and a phenomenal book and a phenomenal series and we're not even done we got the the short story and the prequel novel to get through uh next time i'll be covering the short story and i will also in that one i will bring up how i'm going to be covering season of storms because i'm going to have to do it slightly differently i can't go chapter by chapter because the way it's formatted um but uh, thank you all for joining me for the, this wonderful journey through this saga. That means a whole lot to me. And, uh, of course, still got more to go. But this is the, the end end. Everything else is just a little bit extra. Um, and something to perhaps cleanse you of the fact that Sapkowski just took a knife, ripped out your heart, and stomped on it, and then burned it into a fire, and then proceeded to make a new one for you, just so he can replace it, as we will see in Something and Something Begins, and I will talk about that, and the, the circumstances around the story, and why it exists, and sort of the way I view the story. Uh, but until then, see you next time. Bye.